Web 2.0 Innovation Trend Collaboration Software Metadata Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 191 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed great tips and ideas for improving your video conferences. It's now that time of year when Tom has just returned from yet another fabulous vacation. That means it's time to talk about traveling with technology. So we thought we'd share some of our our new best tips uh, and observations about traveling with technology with our podcast audience. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about travel and some of our best tips for traveling with technology. In our second segment, we've got another question from one of our listeners. And as usual, we finish up with our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, traveling with tech. As you mentioned, Dennis, I I just got back from a wonderful two-week vacation in China and Japan, had a really good time. But you know, this year, when I was planning the technology I was going to take with me, it seemed second nature. I didn't feel quite as stressed out about it. I didn't, I mean, there were one or two things. We'll talk about that. But, you know, for the most part, it was a pretty painless process. Dennis, do you think that there are new things in tech that people ought to know before they travel? Or is it really more the case? that we just need to get better at what we already know. You know, I, I, I think I agree with you that it does, I'm, I'm packing for a trip now, and it feels like the, the tech part of it has actually gotten simpler in some ways. And, and I think it's partially because things are smaller and, uh, you know, and I, I focus more on like chargers and battery and backup and that sort of thing. But um, it's so it does seem like it's it's gotten a, a bit simpler, and then we're just kind of fine. I'm fine tuning things. Like, so what's the right bag? How do I carry cables? You know, do you know? Do I use plastic bags? Do I do this? But it's sort of the more fundamental issue for me as I think about traveling is that. For so many years, I would take my personal laptop with me uh, whenever I traveled. And now I almost feel I can get away with just taking the smartphone that will cover me on almost everything I need on the personal side. You know, if if, if I'm going to do work on, on travel, then I will need a, a work laptop. But that's the one thing that struck me. And, and for this vacation trip that I'm packing for, I'm like, I think I just need my phone and, and an iPad, which I use as, as a reader. And so I think that's that to me feels like the big difference is that, that the phone has become so versatile that uh, the, the laptop has actually become unimportant. And I think that that may be what simplifies and makes it feel like you have less going on when, when you're actually packing for travel. So I don't, I don't know if you, you have the, the same sense. I know you, you had to slim down a lot what you were taking when you went, went to China and Japan, but I don't know whether you have the same observation over the last year. Well, I did, actually. I mean, I, I think that if we're talking about vacation, I think you're right. I, um, I, I, I think that all I really needed 
and I say needed in China or Japan, was a phone. I brought an iPad with me, but for the same reason that you did. I read with it, and I watched videos. Uh, I watched movies. I watched TV shows. I downloaded a lot of stuff to my iPad, and I used that because I really didn't want to watch something on a small screen like my phone. But frankly, I could have done it on my phone if um, if I wanted to. I, I, you know, when we talk, if we're talking about traveling with technology for work, though, um, my my take is completely different. There's too much that I need on my laptop that I really do need to bring my laptop with me. Um, you know, I know that some have have talked about only bringing a phone with them when they travel for work. I think that's, I, I well, I think that's crazy. I they just think that there's too much stuff you need to do. Um, I, I would I would probably not do anything less than bringing an iPad with a keyboard so I could be productive. But uh, I think that these days, if you're traveling for fun, I think that um, you know it, we all live on our phones now, and that's pretty much all that you need. Although it does really then come down to the peripherals, the hardware, the chargers, the cables, all that stuff, which really does take a little bit more thought than uh, than than just figuring out that you just need a phone. Right. I, I think the work thing, too, that that uh, you do have this sense of uh, the need for redundancy. So when you're talking about that, so even if I'm not traveling and I'm planning to rely on on the smartphone, I mean, there's too many times that you 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 cleverly get on a, a call where someone's where you're going to be talking about a document and and you think you're covered on this the smartphone and you you open an attachment and the track changes aren't visible and people are talking about it and you go like well that that wasn't the best move I ever ever made so I think that having that backup in the work situation. But I, I, I think in the personal situation, you can get away with the, you know, with a lot less. And so as I'm packing this evening, I, you know, my my notes are things like, you know, uh, the the headphones, the chargers, the adapters, the extension cords, the power adapters. You know, all so those are. It's almost like my focus is on. You know, preserving batteries uh, more so than than the the technology. And then the other thing that I noticed that I don't bother with anymore, and this is partially because of Dropbox and Evernote and you know other online storage, is that it seems like in the past I would take. There were times I even would take an external hard drive, but always like multiple USB drives. And now that just seems like a a security issue to take, you know, I wouldn't want to leave a USB drive behind anywhere. And and I, as a practical matter, don't have need for, you know, carrying around uh, documents or other things on a USB drive. So that sort of part of the bag that was reserved for hard drives and USB drives is, is kind of empty for me. And it probably gets, you know, taken up with like an extra extension cord these days. You know, and I, um, when, when I, this last vacation, I brought two cords for my phone, one cord for my iPad. I brought a charger for the room. Uh, but the thing that I used the most and the thing that I I was happy that I brought the most was my backup battery. Because when you're walking around, when you're using your phone all the time to for either maps or to tell you about this place or to, to you know, post pictures on things on social media and things like that, um, having, you know, my, my, my phone started to, to, to give out near the end of the day. And so it was nice to have a battery, although mine's a little, a little large, I think. I kind of go to something that's got a lot of power. Um, but the Anchor line, A-N-K-E-R line of batteries, they have them in all sizes. And I think they're great batteries to, to take with you and keep stuff charged in. Um, 
obviously having an adapter in international in foreign countries is also really critical. But the other part that was kind the one part for me that was kind of um, challenging was the the data plan and 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 what kind of plan I was going to have. Um, what I found out was I'm a Verizon customer, and Verizon actually has a new a new feature called Travel Pass. Travel Pass lets you uh, lets you travel on your own plan, the plan that you have here in the United States, for a cost of ten dollars a day wherever you happen to be. And so I've got unlimited unlimited data, uh, and I could I could use it at at as much data as I wanted to while I was over there. Except it would start to throttle your speed after you used about 500 megabytes per day, and that wasn't too bad. I really didn't use that much per day, um, except one day when I accidentally updated a whole bunch of apps and didn't realize it. So it kind of used the the data that way. But um, I wound up using the travel pass in China. I was told that it didn't work in Japan, so I. Other arrangements, which is uh, in in Japan, the big thing right now, and I think it's kind of big in other countries, but Japan for some reason it's a lot bigger. Is um, they have a lot of pocket Wi-Fi, so I, I arranged with a company to deliver a, a little Wi-Fi device that that was connected to a Japanese telephone company, um, and it was delivered to my hotel when I got there in Japan. It was a just smoking fast uh, uh, Wi-Fi thing that I actually didn't even use my phone the whole time I was there. I just kept it on in the backpack. I kept it on in the room. Um, we watched movies from it. We streamed movies from it. It was just amazingly fast, and it was unlimited data for about, it was about, uh, I guess, a little, around $15 a day is what it wound, it, it translated to, which which didn't, which wasn't too bad if I hadn't, <laughs> if I hadn't been paying double for my travel pass. But that, for me, was the most decision-making I had to make about technology on the whole trip. You know, when you travel internationally, the adapters are so key, and and just remind me of uh, time I was I was traveling in uh, Austria, and I had I think I had two adapters, and I was just patting myself on the back, you know, because I had charged these things overnight and hotel, and you know, had these things plugged in, and I went to the meeting I was going to, and when I got there, I realized that my adapters were doing the job back in the hotel room and that basically there was no way for me to plug in but fortunately somebody was able to help me but but yeah you you realize like oh my oh my god I really do need those adapters every everywhere I go I didn't realize before I left that Japan's uh, Japan's outlets are the same as the United States so I didn't even need an adapter in Japan so that was kind of cool it was nice to not have to worry about it in one place and then I think the other thing that I think about again as I get ready to travel is the is the Wi-Fi situation. And to go back to a recent episode that we did, the the whole notion of, of VPNs and the, I, I don't know what the right term for it is. I, I think of them as mini routers because they're so small that you can you can put your own uh, router into into the wired connection in a hotel room. You know, create your own Wi-Fi out of that with a with with a router type of firewall, they use a software VPN like we discussed. And I think that gives you a reasonable level of comfort in using, you know, public Wi-Fi or, or hotel Wi-Fi, which I, I think is a, a lot of times can give you a, you know, a fair amount of concern on the security side. And I guess, Tom, you're sort of like in the classic country where you do worry about, you uh, you know, security on an internet connection in China. So I don't, I don't know what uh, what steps you you took when in that situation. 
Well, you know, if if I, I this is where I start to worry about whether I'm going to you know not allow, be allowed to talk about security anymore because I am in China, uh, some wisdom would tell you to bring a burner phone and to bring a burner ID, uh, iPad, and and never um, and when you're done with it, toss it and never use it again. I didn't do that. I um, I went to China three or four years ago, and the company that I went with said um, we find that as long as you keep it safe with a VPN, then you're okay, and keep it with you all the time. Don't let it get fall into the hands of anybody. You're generally okay. And I I obviously I don't know whether some Thing got onto my phone or my iPad, but I did use a VPN the whole time I was there. The experience was, I think, almost completely flawless. It worked. I, I you know, I wound up. You know, it's funny. After we had our our uh, our, our podcast on VPNs, I went and, and tried Nord VPN um, because it actually gets some in some places better reviews than Express VPN. Well, Nord VPN doesn't work in China. It wouldn't connect at all in China, and ExpressVPN worked flawlessly, and um, I was able to get to all the websites that I wouldn't ordinarily get to. I was actually able to stream from sites that uh, would nor- ordinarily let me do that if they knew that I was calling from another country, but uh, it was, I think, a pretty good process. I'm crossing my fingers that uh, my devices are not compromised, but so far I don't really notice anything. So I, for me, the big thing, I mean, sort of if you, if you talk to any of the, the legal technologists we know, I, you get the feeling that they have about 50 different bags that they've tried and that they're always on a quest for the, the perfect bag. So I, I think that that's sort of a key part of, of my technology tips is like, okay, what are you carrying this stuff in and how is that going to work? You know, um, I've really gone to, to backpacks rather than shoulder bags and, you know, where do you put these things together? Do you, you know, zippered pockets I think are important, but I think there's always uh, a quest and Tom, believe it or not, I actually bought a new, uh, a new day pack uh, as my, you know, under the under the seat slash technology bag uh, for the the trip I'm going on, which is a is a an Osprey day pack um, that I'm pretty excited to try because it's this combination of of small and uh, enough zippered pockets, plus you know sort of really well designed as as a backpack. So. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just bag obsessed, but if if I am, I'm not the only one. So I don't I don't know, Tom. I I think that's sort of a key part. And I know that you you kind of drill down more in, in trying some of the what I call like the sub bags or zippered boxes as well, and in, in keeping different components or, or or you know the chargers and the other things um, organized. So I, I'm more like throw it into a zippered pocket. I think you are go more toward the organizational approach. Yeah, I am. And when it comes to bags, I I kind of am interested in bags too, but I never can decide what I want. So I go with something and I stick with it. I've been a big fan of the Tom Bin line because they're rugged and they last forever. And the backpack I've had, I've had for a bunch of years and you couldn't tell it. It's just, it's just such a well-made bag. And so I just had that backpack that I brought with me. Um, yeah, I've, I've been, I've been struggling with uh, the right kind of, uh, 
uh, uh, cord keeper and things like that. And I'm, I'm using one right now from a company called thisisground.com. Very well made. It's very nice leather. It's huge. It's massive. I need to I need to find something else. I'm I I really like how it looks and it's and it's a nice thing, but it's just way too big. So I'm I'm on the lookout. I I stopped the gridit stuff because the gridit was just taking up too much space. I kind of want to consolidate. I want to downsize my cords, but I'm uh, I'm on the lookout now for something new on that. Then I think the the other thing that I think is has been the big evolution over the last few years on technology is the move to apps, right? And that follows from saying if the smartphone is your key device, then then apps become more important. And then also, so it's there's some app management. It's like picking the right apps and then thinking about how you actually do things. And so. Uh, you know, our friends like John Simic and Sharon Nelson, who are really, uh, you know, heavy on the security side, um, you know, I, I think we learn from them. So one of, I do this thing, this is probably my, my trade is I don't like when I'm traveling, especially and definitely when I'm on public Wi-Fi to do anything where I'm separately entering a username or password. And I definitely don't like to do e-commerce or do Amazon orders. I'm really reluctant to that. So that's that's sort of my own quirk. So traveling, I I tend to do a thing where I'll, I'll move the apps that I'm going to use more to the home screen of the smartphone so they're easier for me to get to. And then I in some ways I reduce the number of apps that I might use to kind of key apps. So the social media, the travel, type apps, those sorts of things, and kind of get them a little better organized uh, in what I do. And then with the iPad, I'm more using it as as an e-reader and then something I use in the hotel room more commonly while I, I might be charging up uh, the, the iPhone after a day using it as a camera and, and the other things that I might do. So, Tom, I, I know that you just had a, a long trip with the uh, and and you use apps for all kinds of things and and definitely for planning you know restaurants and things like that so i don't know if you have some new new ideas or new favorite apps that you want to share with people so I do. There are a couple of apps that, and there's some old standbys. I mean, TripIt is has been my app of choice for keeping my itinerary and sharing it with my family when I'm gone. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily like to share their their Google inbox with another company. I, I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, even if you're not okay with that, you can still forward all of your reservations and and confirmations to to TripIt, and it will keep a very nicely formatted um, itinerary for you and notify you when there are changes to that itinerary that uh, especially if you're a premium member but there's a new app on the on the on the scene that I think is really interesting and I I'm trying to use it more it's called Google it's Google Trips now Google because they have Gmail and if you have if you're a Gmail user like me they're already looking in your mailbox they're going to put the same information into itinerary for you um, so it, it it basically found all that information it created a trip for almost all the towns that I went to it didn't have all of them but then for each town you can download a city guide, places to go, um, tours to take, uh, how to get around town, transportation, um, incredibly helpful guides uh, that I want to take and make more use of. Um, 
there are two apps from the government that if you're traveling internationally, I absolutely recommend. The first is the State Department's Star- Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. You basically tell them where you're going to be, um, where you're going to stay, um, and then you'll get alerts if something happens in that country while you're there um, to where you can either get to an embassy or get help or get something to happen. And so notifying um, them while you're gone, I think, is a great idea. The other one is called, uh, it's from the Center for Disease Control. It's called be well, and you pl- you plug in where you're going to be, and it's going to give you a, an idea of the different shots you're going to need, or the different types of precautions you're going to need to take where wherever you happen to go. Um, I wholly recommend having a transit app. So wherever you happen to go, you know, plug in the name of the city and then either type m- subways or trains or whatever. Um, I absolutely used them in Shanghai and Beijing and Tokyo. Um, they were amazingly helpful. I tried to use Google Maps. It wasn't always the best app to use. So having those transit apps are great. And then I'm going to talk about Google Photos a little bit more in our second segment, but I'll say that Google Photos, again, is proving to me to be just the best photo management tool in the world. I would take photos on my phone all day long. I'd get back to the hotel room. I'd connect to the Wi-Fi, and within three minutes, all my photos were backed up to Google, and they had made some albums for me. They had made some movies for me, um, and now they've recently announced um, that they will create photo books for you, either hardcover or softcover photo books out of... Uh, out of your photos, I've just gotten one from our from our trip, and I want to see how it looks. I'll I'll have to let you know in a future uh, a future podcast if I if I like the result. Yeah, and, I, and so I, I have two th- two other thoughts on apps. So one echoes what you were saying is so one of the things I do before I travel anywhere is I just go to the to the app store and just do a search on the name of the the city that I'm going to be in. And then I take a look at those apps and, and at least temporarily, you know, because I'll, I'll take them off. If there are city guides, if there's bike trail guides, if there's, you know, hiking guides, if there are other, you know, local newspaper, maybe a local TV show uh, or, or lo- local TV news uh, app, I'll just grab those things because they, they, could, they could be handy. Um, so, just kind of add it to the list. It's kind of like one thing you can do really quickly to kind of help you, uh, uh, you know, figure out what you might do. That's really good for like what, you know, what concerts or shows might be in town. Um, it can help you find that in an easy way. And then you'll, you'll have that, you'll have that with you. So that's a really good thing to do with apps uh, uh, along those lines. And then I, I guess the, the other thing with the apps is to, to say, what is it that I'm going to be doing? So, and maybe it's the time to try a new app. So if I'm going to a place where maybe I know I'm going to take a lot of photos, I might experiment with a new photo app. Or as Tom said, that if you know you're going to take a lot of photos, you might uh, experiment with a new a new way of storing or posting photos. So you might and you know cycling, you know other activities. That's that's another thing that I, I look to apps for. I think the other thing, Tom, that, that I find useful is the is the whole online storage world, Dropbox, Evernote, and other online storage. And I think that's great, especially if you're traveling internationally, that you can put up the copies, you can store copies of your passport, uh, credit card information, things like that securely. And if you would have a problem, then you then you can pull copies of that 
keep your itinerary there, important numbers, or other ways to do that. But but those become an easy way. And if you know there's something that might come up that you need to work on or might have access to, throwing it up on Dropbox or or uh, Evernote is a good way that you can you can can reach it. And that's another way you might store, say, like articles about a place you wanted to go to, reviews, that sort of thing. And and so depending on the one you pick, that can be really useful. Yeah, the one, one uh, area of apps that I didn't mention, because I didn't use them, I, I, I'd like to, but I just haven't, uh, I just don't have the energy to do it, are there are a lot of cool journaling apps for trips. Um, one of them is called Journey, that's J-O-U-R-N-I, uh, but there are a number of other ones that, that will basically create travel journals for you. You take a picture, um, it captures where you are, it shows a map, it uh, allows you to, to write in, here's what I did today, here's how my day was. Um, if I were more of a, a writer, if I really wanted to write a lot while I was on vacation, I think these would be really fantastic ways of memorializing a trip that you're on, and there are just so many of them out there. Um, I, I, I think there's more for iPhone than Android, which is probably another reason why I don't, uh, why I don't use them but um i and then i guess the other thing that i used uh, quite a bit at least when it was time to communicate with home was rather than use the phone to call home um i either facetimed over wi-fi or uh, when i got to japan for some reason my phone actually wouldn't work uh and so i called i made a couple of skype phone calls while i was over there and uh, again that that's it's it's nice to have a backup way to communicate with people um either because you don't want to pay for the the cost to call people or maybe calling isn't possible where you might happen to be going yeah and i think the the alternative communication is great so the skypes the vibers other things that you you where you can tell somebody else to install the app if they don't use it viber i think was really popular when my daughter was in in switzerland that was one way that we we communicated the other thing i think is a password manager uh we recommend for everything but it's really great for you know the the credit card information uh pin numbers uh hotel uh you know programs things like that the the things that you you never have and you want you need that that number and so you can use a password manager to store some of those things and it's a great way where you know you have your passwords with you then you've not written them down or done anything like that but you know it's sort of in a, a very secure area so I, I don't know tom do you want to do like a little lightning round and and wrap up with our favorite tips or do you have a, a couple of other things that you want to to highlight no i think and and i'm not sure that i have a lightning round of tips i mean my biggest tip and maybe dennis when you talk i'll 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 be inspired to come up with some other ones but really my biggest tip from this trip is um don't let choosing technology for a trip become overwhelming. Um, use the technology that you think you're going to need. I think it makes sense to plan ahead of time, figure out what you're going to do, what you're going to need it for, but um, you don't need to have an app for every single thing. You don't need to have technology for everything you might do because you're on the vacation to have a good time. Now, for me, having that technology helps me have a good time, so I enjoy it. But if you um, if you don't want to let tech take it over, then you know choose your technology wisely and say, here, are the, here are the five or the two or the one tool that I want to be able to use while I'm over there and then really make use of that while you're there. But, uh, but then just spend, you know, focus on having a good time on your trip. 
So two things that I want to mention. So I, I always mention great headphones and noise canceling headphones. We, you know, I use Bose. There's a there's a number of of uh, possibilities out there. I I lately think a lot about two services and apps. One called Overdrive and one called Scribd. S C R I B D. Um, and and it shows kind of the versatility, why the phone and the tablet has become so versatile and why I don't think you really need a laptop most of the time. But so OverDrive allows you that if you're a member of your uh, public library, you can download uh, ebooks and audiobooks um, on a rental basis. Uh, and inscribed is similar, but you're paying about nine dollars a month, and then you can you can get ebooks and audiobooks. And so I like the idea that in addition to podcasts, I can I can download for free or as part of my scribe uh, subscription uh, audiobooks, and that gives me another option on the plane if I want to dig into to a book that I might not otherwise read, and I'm not as, you know, I feel it more like listening to it than than reading it. So, so I I think that shows the versatility, and then it helps you think I think in terms of how can I pack even lighter, and what technology is really essential, and how can I you know, kind of get multiple uses out of the same technology. So, which I think is, you know, part of travel is that you don't want the technology to weigh you down or anything else to weigh you down. You want to be able to focus on what you're traveling to do. Well, and you did you did make me think of the, the one thing that I didn't talk about, which was um, the, the other things. You talk about audiobooks and, and, and regular books and articles and magazines. Um, I wanted to I, I, I wanted to watch TVs and movie to TV shows and movies while I was out there and um, it is so simple and easy now if you're a Netflix subscriber or an Amazon uh, prime video subscriber um, you can go into the store now make sure you do it before you leave don't do it uh, after you're on the road do it ahead of time so this is where the planning comes in but I went into Netflix and there's an area said available for download area and it had uh, a bunch of TV shows that I needed to catch up on, and so I essentially spent all of my time on the plane binge-watching television shows, both coming and going, um, and watched, you know... 10 to 15 different episodes of television while I was on there and it was great and I didn't need to have an internet an internet connection I could just watch it there um, once you start watching it you've got a you know a short amount of time you've got like 24 to 48 hours and then it it, it deletes it from your device it doesn't want it you can't keep it on there forever um, but uh, but it's nice to be able to do that for free as part of your subscription and then take it wherever you happen to be without an internet connection all right before we move on to our next segment let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We've got another question, but no audio this time. We really like getting the audio questions, so be sure to send yours in. Let's go right to the question. The question is, it's probably no longer a matter of if 
but when? So when are we going? Are we actually going to be alive when the impact of AI truly starts to be felt? Tom, you get to answer first. So I'm going to answer by talking about. Google I.O., which uh, is the annual Google Developers Conference that just took place right before we recorded this episode. Um, and, uh, you know, if you read the technology uh, reports of it, the, the tech journalist reports of it, they'll all say that it, it was not a very exciting conference, but it continued with Google's mission, which is um, that that AI, the artificial intelligence, is the next great platform. And so the, the types of strides that Google is making with AI, I think, answers the question, which is, it's already being felt. Even if it's only in small ways, or if you consider them to be in small ways, I think, Google aside, we're already seeing how Watson is changing the practice of law. Several law firms are licensing the tool to do that. But let's, let's just talk about some things that Google is doing real quick. Um, I mentioned Google Photos earlier. Google Photos is now going to give you the option that if you take a picture with somebody else in the picture, it's already doing facial recognition, which you may find is is creepy, and there may be people who don't like that. Um, but the facial recognition can can obviously identify who individuals are. And then what's interesting is that if you share that picture with your friend or vice versa, then Google learns that your friend is also on Google Photos. Um, then it actually now has the ability to automatically share pictures with your friends if they're in them. So if you take a picture, it's automatically going to share that picture with your friends. You don't have to worry about doing it yourself. Again, there's, there's no friction. There's nothing to do on your part. Some people may find that's a little too creepy, but I, I, I think it's helping <laughs> manage your relationship with this person by doing something that you may have actually forgotten to do. Um, but what they're doing in general, and, and Dennis, you may talk more intelligently about this, is kind of huge with AI. They, they have a tool and they have a process called TensorFlow. And the best way to describe it in a way that I understand is, is it's, a, it's, an, infra, it's an algorithm infrastructure for algorithms. So uh, it, it's a whole bunch of artificial intelligence recipes that are bundled together and managed by the same kind of recipe that's smart enough to decide which algorithm in the bundle is going to work best in your situation. So you pose a question or you have a, you have something that needs to be solved and it's going to try to figure out which tool is best for you. Um, and, and, and one way that they're they're going to make this work is um, applying it to the products that they offer you. I don't know if any of you watch Silicon Valley, the the, the, the comedy show on HBO, but they've recently uh, had an episode where they introduced an app that they called Sea Food, S-E-E Food, and they said that you just pointed at food and it would identify it. And uh, on Silicon Valley, it didn't do a very good job. It either, it either said it was a hot dog or not a hot dog. That was the extent of its intelligence. Um, but with um, a number of years ago, Google... Uh, purchased a, a tool called Word Lens, which allowed you to point your camera at pictures and it would translate them into other languages. And I, I use that a little bit in China and Japan, but now they're just calling it Lens. So you can point it and it'll do all kinds of things. You point it at a flower, it'll tell you what kind of flower. You point it at a stadium or a conference venue, it's going to tell you about upcoming events at that location and it's going to provide a way for you to buy tickets. Um, you can point your camera at the sticker on your router, and, and Google's going to identify the network and automatically log you in, which is kind of creepy and, and, and is a good argument for having, uh, you know, changed the password on your router. But the fact that it can do that, I think, is really amazing. Uh, the fact that it's smart enough to do it, and this is already happening. So it's not a matter of in our lifetime, it's happening right now, and I think there's just going to be more of it. I think it's really exciting. I think we have a lot to look look at, but I'm, I'm excited by it. 
Well, I mean, this question kind of expresses the running gag about artificial intelligence that it's always just around the corner. So artificial intelligence, the term and the idea was kind of coined in 1942. Um, and it's kind of bubbled up at different times. I know that in 1982, I was in law school in a class where we were talking about what would be the liability if an artificial intelligence uh, tool made a decision and there was a car accident, like who would you sue? Well, you hear that question all the time about self-driving cars uh, today, which is, you know, 30 plus years later. So it's always been in this sort of uh, the ecosystem. And, you know, when is, is AI really going to be here? And, and we, in the podcast we did on AI, we talked about this, how, you know, artificial intelligence sort of, to me, unfairly has the goalposts moved on it all the time. So every time it accomplishes something, you know, like beats humans in chess or then it needs to be the world champion, then it needs to, no, it needs to meet them in Go rather than chess. You know, so so it never quite gets to what, people are comfortable with. But uh, we, we also talked about Kevin Kelly's book, The Inevitable, where he talks about AI in a way that I really like, which is talks about uh, not just one general artificial intelligence, but this sort of notion that there are many artificial intelligences and what he calls artificial smartness. And so I like to use the example of anti-lock brakes, which can do a lot better job of breaking in a difficult situation than I ever could. So I, th I think we're seeing the filtering out of some aspects of of artificial intelligence. And so I think it's a matter of, of where you look and what you're looking for. So I do think the answer to this one is we're really going to feel a significant impact um, in our lifetime, which let me be generous and say, you know, put out at least, you know, 20, 20 more years for all of us. Um, so and, and, and probably some significant in the in the near term. And so things like TensorFlow, the machine learning, uh, chatbots, the combinations of all these things. And then I think that that specialized, that notion of specialized AI and then how that gets converted. So Tom, when you talk about word lens or as they call it lens and you're describing what it does, that's a classic example of augmented reality. And so, and it's happening on the phone as opposed to saying, oh, augmented reality requires like some sort of, you know, Google Glass or, or some something over your eyes. So um, really interesting things happening. And, and I think it's just a matter of saying artificial intelligence, if we kind of move away from this notion, this monolithic general artificial intelligence, there's some really cool stuff happening in a lot of different areas. And uh, sort of changing our perspective will let us see a lot more things that are happening. And they're probably going to happen uh, pretty darn quickly. Uh, so now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So a uh, hat tip to our friend Sharon Nelson for posting this on her blog and where I caught it. Um, NIST, the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, recently issued some revised guidelines on password security. Um, and they have some changes here. They basically have admitted passwords are too hard or, or administrators are making passwords too hard by requiring us to jump through too many hoops with them, saying that, uh, that, that if, if, if the bad people really want the passwords, they can get to those really complicated passwords a lot easier than 
than hacking through them. Um, and and so they they don't require those anymore. Um, they say that the minimum length for a password should be eight digits, which seems a little small for me. And and they really talk a lot about two-factor authentication as being critically important. I agree with all that. The one thing I didn't see there was, well, if we're not doing comp- complicated passwords, then what do you recommend for the passwords? I need to read through more of it. I want to see what it is. But um, I think it makes for an interesting uh, interesting read. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And uh, this is sort of a technology issue, but sort of not. And it's something that we face. So uh, if you think about it as technology makes us feel more productive, we have a, even more of a tendency to say, yes, I'll take more things on. And and I think for a lot of us, it's hard to say no to things. It's certainly without feeling guilty and especially in certain situations. So uh I'm I'm recommending a, a blog post called How to Say No Without Feeling Guilty, Six Secrets from the Experts. Uh, and we'll put a, a link to the, to the show to the show notes for that one. Um, and uh, but you can you can search on the name, but it has sort of six ways that you can kind of easily uh, say no to people in, in ways that make sense and they will understand and, and without offending them. And for me, and I think for others listening to um, just experimenting with a few of those and finding that you can clear a little space so you're not you don't hear yourself saying the yes, uh, you know, voicing the word yes when your mind is saying no, no, no is is definitely worth it. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile or, and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. And uh, Dennis is right. We love getting your audio questions. So please submit audio questions to the Legal Talk Network if you're interested in uh, having us uh, air it on the show sometime. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to The Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to The Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of The Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.